0: Hi, everybody. My name is Jared Millratt. I'm the founder of Movie Karma. We're the nonprofit organization that created our podcast here called Rewriting Hollywood, which focuses on diversity, equity, inclusion, and social impact in storytelling. We're really are looking at the power of storytelling, how it could be a force for social change and social good all around the world. Uh, and today I'm really excited to have uh, a special guest joining us about his really creative project that we celebrated as part of our show for change film festival the project is called sticks and stones uh and our guest today is bill doan who um really had an instrumental role um behind the film uh through something called the anxiety project that he created um but also as it was a voice actor understanding the project so really excited to talk to him about this about this project which looks at uh, essentially the issues uh, issues around um, depression, anxiety, um toxic masculinity and and a bunch of other themes uh, as well. So Bill, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Excited to have you on.
1: Great. Thank you. It's so I'm excited to meet you. I'm glad to be here.
0: Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um so I know you're based in Pennsylvania and and you've uh you've been part of this this really fascinating fascinating short animation which is the second in a series of short films uh, around a larger body of work by, by you, Bill, as, as a theater director for the Anxiety Project. Tell us, um, tell us a little bit, Bill, just about your background and, and tell us about this this Anxiety Project, folks that aren't familiar.
1: Sure, great. Um, so the Anxiety Project is about eight years old now, um, and it has over a thousand drawings. They're all my original drawings. Um, these two short animated films and uh, two solo performance pieces that I've toured with quite a bit. Um, first was called uh, My Anxiety, uh, The Anatomy of My Anxiety. That was the first performance piece. The second one was called Frozen in the Toilet Paper Isle <laughs> of Life. <laughs> um which was a performance piece about living with panic attacks and anxiety attacks and um you know which i've done most of my life i have lived with anxiety and depression f- pretty much forever it seems i'm mm. about to turn 64 years old and they so i don't think they're going away mm. um, and i <laughs> you know over time with uh various you know with therapy medication and but especially drawing have Sort of come to a really good relationship with my anxiety and depression and managed to live with them pretty well. And that, uh, you know, that's kind of was the genesis of the anxiety project. I just started drawing, trying to, every time I tried to tell people what it was like to live with anxiety and depression, words failed me. Mm. Uh, And I found that the drawings could express things so much more clearly. Um, And that led to these two uh, animation projects, which, um, you know, working with uh, Cindy White and Alexander White, our co-directors and Alexander is our animator. Mm. Um, Both projects feature my draw. They're all they're both hand drawn animation projects that are completely based on my drawings. Uh, And then Cindy and Alexander, you know, worked with me to develop the script from my performance pieces. And then Alexander sort of took the lead in animating my drawings, um, which brought a whole new dimension to the work for me and and even made me look at my drawings in a radical Hmm. kind of new way. Um, And then, as you well know, thanks to festivals like yours and podcasts like yours, Opened up audiences for me to share the work with and to interact with that has just sort of really changed the trajectory of my my work completely.
0: Yeah, I just love I love that you've been so vulnerable and open about your own you know journey with anxiety and depression. I had my own battles with that as well. I think a lot of our listeners probably have. I don't know if it tends to follow creative people around in particular, or yeah. uh, or if just many of us obviously are struggling with it. But there is a stigma, as you as you said in your materials, um, Bill, around around mental illness. Um, still, unfortunately, um, there still is a sense that um, you know we it's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to be open about these issues. Um, what, what allowed you, and I love the word you use relationship with anxiety, depression, as opposed to saying, I'm just going to get rid of it somehow. Um, what, what allowed you to be kind of vulnerable and open and, and honest about this in your own life?
1: Yeah. You know, I think it was a combination of things really, um, you know, and, and certainly therapy helped quite a bit. With that, but there was a—I mean, the Anxiety Project. All the, one of the catalysts for that was also my youngest sister, who was um, 40 at the time. This was in 2012. Was in a car accident and suffered a severe traumatic brain injury and was in a vegetative state for almost two years. And then mm-hmm. at the end of that time, we chose finally to withdraw her from artificial nutrition and hydration and as you might imagine, going through that was a real crisis moment for me in terms of my own anxiety and depression. And it was one of those moments where it was like, look, you either are gonna start being honest about this or it's it's gonna win. It's gonna, the outcome was not gonna be good, right? Yeah. Um, and so when I started doing the drawings and first sharing them with people, getting encouragement, from folks to, you know, to to share the story. And I was really hesitant at first, you know. Um, And even what I disclosed in the earliest work compared to now, you know, over time, it took me a while to really disclose the whole truth and to be vulnerable enough, you know, and that's part of that whole kind of being raised in a really toxic masculine culture. uh southern ohio midwestern rednecky kind of you know i mean i even tell the story that when i was a kid i I, you know i had to hide the fact that i liked to draw because in my in the one side of my family it was just not cool for little boys Mm -hmm. to draw i wasn't even allowed to like i i did one of those you know in the tv guide where you could draw the little creature at the back Mm -hmm. of the tv guide if you're old enough to remember the actual (laughs) TV yeah, TV yeah right. I
0: do I do I do vaguely remember that.
1: I know <laughs> um, I know it exists.
0: I know it existed. I do remember yeah. it.
1: <laughs> and so I I entered one of those without telling anybody in my family and I won like this gift certificate thing that it and it showed up in the mail, right? And like when my stepdad saw it, he like tore up the check and threw it away and you know and I got punished for drawing and so Yeah, it was, there was a whole lot of reinforcement that, that, you know, said, don't do anything artsy whatsoever. Um, So, yeah, it took, it took me a while through those series of events of grieving and of, of trying to confront my own issues with anxiety and depression to learn that actually sharing your story is the smartest way to survive anxiety and depression.
0: It really is, and I think calling it, calling it out, naming it, verbalizing it, as you said, and then using your art in this great, powerful way is is such an amazing, I think, inspiration for people who who struggle with this, and uh, you, know, myself included, I think, who are looking for opportunities to to be open and honest about it. You're you're a um, as you alluded to an arts health researcher and educator. Um, what inspired you to um, go into kind of the educational angle at this bill or or I know you're at Penn State, what, what sort of, um, talk about that journey, because I think that's also fascinating that you've been using this as a tool to teach and and hopefully encourage young people, and particularly young men, honestly, to be more open and vulnerable.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, early on, my career was a pretty traditional academic career, right? Um Even though I was a trained theater artist, um, I wasn't doing any work around mental health or health early on, just doing typical and traditional kind of theater stuff. Um, But, uh, you know, once I started making this work, um, it seemed smart for me to bring all that training and, you know, um, experience to bear on this work. And then ending up at a research university like Penn State was the perfect opportunity to kind of build bridges in disciplines where I thought the arts really could make a difference. And you know, mm. arts and health has become a significant national movement. There's the graphic medicine movement where comic books are being used in training physicians and healthcare professionals. There are arts and health institutes around the country. Um, I've done a lot of work with the College of Nursing, with the Hershey Medical School. That intersection of arts and health and wellness is, we just know that the the body of research out there that tells us that the arts have a significant contribution to make is without a doubt. It's a clear message. Hmm. Um, And so it seemed to me that, you know, Even before that I was interested in in theater that was socially conscious or I did a lot of community based theater work. And so it just seemed like a natural transition for me to start making work that collaborated with people in the health sphere, particularly in terms of public health, around the issues of mental health and and well being. and you know, universities. Uh, I guess one of for me, one of the big advantages is you know the liberal culture that most universities celebrate. Um, you know, allows for you to kind of ignore the stigma issues, right? And just yeah. say we're not we're not going to let that stop us. We're going to move ahead with this work, and you get a lot of support to do that.
0: Yeah, it's beautifully said, and um, I think having that support, I'm, I'm sure, must be must be nice, especially when it comes to to, to both art, but also these these messages around anxiety and depression. Um, do 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 you see in the research bill around around you mentioned the connection art and and health, essentially and wellness? Like, do you see a connection between both watching and experiencing art uh, as a, as a viewer, as an audience member, and, and also, you know, making art, creating art as therapeutic tools is, are both equally valuable or, or, you know, there differences there folks, folks know about?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I I think, first of all, yeah, they're both equally valuable, right? I mean, we all know that not everyone is going to, become a creator or a maker in an artistic sense, right? I mean, for those um, who seek to do that, it's great. But we also know that a significant portion of the population, their interest in creative expression might be somewhere else completely, right? In In the cooking, in their gardening, and so they can find that therapeutic path there. But in traditional, you know, art making, whether it's visual art or performing art or making film, um, that's a different sort of segment of the population, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So, for me, art has, as a consumer of art, there's always been a therapeutic relationship for me in art, looking at something that I find beautiful or something that I find moving, or something that I find that even, you know, <laughs> terrifies me, like huh. Goya's work, or you know, certain artists historically. Um, the it's there has always been this kind of way that it reminds me that i'm human right because it suddenly it makes me feel i'm like oh shit you know whatever that feeling is oh sorry about that <laughs> you no know? it's a podcast really... you
0: can curse all day so that's oh, not
1: <laughs> Um, But art has always been a reminder to me of my own humanity and my own. um, And then on the flip side of that, as a maker, um, it's been a way for me to deepen that humanity and to be conscious about it and to be intentional about it. You know, and that's how I've come to Um, practice drawing. I mean, drawing for me is a form of meditation. I draw every day Mm. and I do it as my meditation. Um, And that has become the particular way that I deepen my sense of the here and now, that I try to ground myself, that I um, you know, remind myself that I'm human. That I that it would be good for me to try and do something today that would be good for somebody else. Mm, you know, wow. Um, so it, as both a consumer of art and a maker of art, it has just been a way to enrich my life all all around.
0: So it's again really well said I, I was gonna ask about your last point, which is you know for folks listening who you know might want to think about art in that way as like a therapeutic tool and maybe haven't thought about it, I haven't realized it um, that, that it's having that impact on them. like do you think that you have to go into the either the co- consumption of the art or the expression as being an artist with that intentionality of Okay, you know, I'm going to be present. I'm going to let this take me where it takes me, et cetera, so forth. Like, do you need that awareness? Do you think, or is it just the the practice of doing it or consuming it that is helpful?
1: Yeah, I think it's both and right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the practice of doing and consuming, even if it, even if it's casual for you, right, just because you enjoy it or it brings you pleasure, and you do it when you have the time to do it, can certainly be beneficial. Um, I do think, however, when you become intentional about it, when you, um, when you're going to make it a practice, right, a, a kind of mindful, intentional practice, it takes you somewhere else. It takes you mm. deeper into that relationship. Um, and over time, the way that it changes you, you might not even be aware of initially, um, you know, but uh, for example, I mean, like I said, there's well over a thousand drawings in the Anxiety Project now. Hmm. I've probably done more than five, six, God knows how many thousands that I don't even keep, right? Um, But in the official archive of the project itself, and I look at those drawings from the first years to now, and, you know, I really can see the the path that the intentional practice has taken. And I can see in the drawings themselves, I can see the subtleness of the way I make marks. I can see the um, the sophistication of the way I make marks mm-hmm. now compared to early on. The aesthetic has deepened in a way that's really personal. Um, I mean, I and so, um, I think that it's the more it becomes your practice, it becomes a deeper, personal, almost spiritual relationship, or at least that's been my experience of it.
0: I found that to be true, and I'm sure many people listening have as well with 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 acting, with filmmaking. I mean, I think there's with writing, right? I think there's there's so much here in artistic expression, at least our society in, in the u s seems to not particularly value or talk about to your point as a useful therapeutic tool but also just as something that as you said we sh- we can be in practice with and it's not necessarily something you need to or, or that you can be best in quote-unquote or right. right like is that yeah. is that also part of the issue here that we sort of have this assumption of or, or we're sort of taught as a society that you know i've got to win awards i've got to be the best i've got to get you know get a master's in this i've got to get achievements in this is that also part of it
1: Oh my God. Yes. It's such a, (laughs) it's such a push pull, right? I mean, you want to make the work or I I mean, I want to make the work for the sake of making the work and for the benefit that it brings me. And in the, particularly in the mental health communities that I've been able to engage with and other people and artists, you know, irrespective of any of that other work, anyone's judgment on the quality of my work or, but then, you know, there is this kind of Um, reality, you know, of of if you want, if I wanted sticks and stones to be seen, I had to enter it into festivals where you're either selected or not, or where you get acknowledged with an award or you don't. Um, The trick for me has been to not, you know, to resist getting sucked into doing it for that reason. Like, oh, we had really good success with Sticks and Stones. So now let me think of the next film only in terms of what could bring me more success, right? Right. You have to, it's hard to work against that, right? I mean, ego is part of it, right? And you, um, but again, I think through your practice, through your artistic practice, if you come to acknowledge that, and you can see when your ego is becoming your own enemy, um, that's a sign of some maturity for you too. And I can say, whoa, whoa, whoa. okay, Bill, back up. <laughs> you know? Yeah, great. Right, you're, you're doing this for all the wrong reasons, you know? And so I think that you cycle through that, I think more, certainly more than once mm. in your life. Yeah.
0: Beautiful, beautifully said. It is a cycle, isn't it? Um, and it's, uh, that awareness of that it's happening is sort of part of the part. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I did want to ask you in these last few minutes just about about toxic masculinity. Obviously, very easy, quick topic. Um, yeah, but yeah. Um, you you know you touched on it. In the, obviously, in this project, um, you know, unfortunately, on the issue of anxiety and depression, we know that many particularly young men, um, unfortunately, you know, take their lives because of anxiety and depression. Um, struggle with this in, in very intense ways. There's also issues I would argue around um, which I think you're touching on. You know, lack of expression for men um spaces where they can feel vulnerable and honest about their feelings what they're going through or i think we're working on that as a culture and society but i would argue we're not we're not we're definitely not there yet so i I guess if you could just talk about some of those topics and like why you think toxic masculinity in particular was a space that you wanted to or, or do you want to continue to touch on and address
1: yeah and you know at first it was like i gosh i really didn't want to right because it's like oh god Um, it's a, such a complicated, thick subject, you know, and I am a, you know, a cisgendered, straight white guy who, you know, is like, and I thought, "Uh, do you want to try and be the voice of this? And, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, And, you know, so I resisted it for a long time, but in my own work on myself, I had to acknowledge that that those notions of masculinity had a huge influence on me. And and in fact, at a certain time in my life, had me on a path to just to being a toxic male jerk, asshole, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. it was like, so in all honesty, I had to look at this subject um, and to look at its relationship to my mental health issues. Um, and to try and find what I thought was a valuable endpoint for me, right? And every day we're reminded how we need to keep calling this out, you know, whether we call it toxic masculinity or whatever we want to call it, right. we need to keep calling it out. I mean, let's look at the last two days when, you know, a young black male and a young white woman were both shot for one ringing the wrong doorbell and one pulling into the wrong driveway. Right. Um, I mean, again, I don't want to oversimplify it, but it's sort of like there is a there mm. is this kind of masculinity out there that that is yeah. so destructive to. Right. And so, yeah, I it it became an unavoidable subject for me, and my hope was that I could find a way into it that had something to contribute that was meaningful and useful to somebody else.
0: I think it's deeply meaningful and useful, and I think that you're exactly right. There's a um, kind of hunger for violence, unfortunately, it Seems in, this <laughs> in, a lot of, in many ways, right? And I talk, we could talk about gun issues. We talked about many other things around that. Right. But- I just love that you you tackled this. Um, my last question for you, Bell, is just around what wh- question we like to ask on an optimistic tone is is just wh- wh- what are you hopeful for in terms of um, particularly in terms of the impact of this, like the impact of the anxiety project, the impact of Six and Stones, like what what kinds of impacts do you want to have or do you feel like you ha- are having with this with this work and or messages you want folks to really take take with them?
1: Yeah, I, I have it's been so gratifying that everywhere I've gone and either shared the visual artwork or the performance work or the films, um, there's been really robust conversation, right? Not just people asking me about my work, but how it suddenly flips into a conversation about mm-hmm. masculinity, about mental health, about mental well-being, where my work gets decentered all of a sudden, and we're talking about the bigger issues. That's been really gratifying. And so I hope if I can keep sharing the work to stimulate that kind of conversation, that's really important to me. Um, I'm 64 years old. I'm coming near the end of my academic career. I have two grandchildren who are you know, the kind of loves of my life right now. Um, And so the thought that I can do anything that might contribute to a world that's a little easier and better for them to live in, even if I'm fooling myself about that, Uh, (laughs) um, that to me, that's a hopeful reason to keep making the work and to keep trying to contribute to the conversation.
0: It's very hopeful indeed. And I, and I no doubt you are um, you are certainly contributing to, to that better world. So um, it was a real honor having you on again. And yesterday, Bill Doan is uh, really the, the kind of the, the voice uh, behind this project uh, uh, sticks and stones that we celebrated as part of our show for change film festival. It's really, again, fantastic piece looking at anxiety, depression, mental health, uh, masculinity, and and much more. I hope folks will, will check it out. Uh, Bill, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was great having you on.
1: Oh, thank you, Jared. It was so great to meet you, man.
0: Same same here. Thanks so much.
1: Take care.